This is football. I'm Kevin Clark. Mitchell Schwartz and Cam Jordan join me today. Amazing episode. Um, I want to go through something I talked about very briefly on Sunday night off a listener question uh, via Twitter, which was, what are the chances that Belichick, John Harbaugh, and Mike Tomlin are available this offseason? Tomlin going nowhere. The Steelers team might be pretty good, by the way. Um, I'm not sure why he was grouped in that. John Harbaugh... We'll see how this season goes. He'd have a very nice market because he's a good coach. He's forward thinking and and like that that's all settled. Belichick to me is the most interesting one. Because I think the biggest indictment of the last five weeks is that even if he became available, and he'd be the second oldest coach in the NFL still, obviously P. Carroll's older. Um, always a surprise. But if he became available, his market would be four, five teams. His market would not be zero. I saw people say his market would be non-existent. That's ridiculous. There's too many owners who, as I've said before, like to just hand over the keys to a big name and make him the football czar. And so they can say, it's the old thing, like nobody gets fired for buying IBMs. Have you ever heard the old business practice? Like nobody gets heat for saying, we're going to turn this over to Bill Belichick, even now. Um, but I wanted to go through some some options on that. Because I think, and again, like when I put this out there, there are people who said he's going to have more more suitors than he should. And there's some people who said he's going to have less suitors than he should. Nobody really said, by the way, how many suitors he should have. Um, but I wanted to go through kind of where he stands and what a team would need. The most heartbreaking thing for me as someone who's so respectful of what Bill Belichick has done over the past 25 years is that he seems like he's out of ideas. This is a guy who innovated basically every corner of football, like the 2007 Patriots and the way they incorporated the spread meeting with urban Meyer and Dan Mullen at Florida, figuring that stuff out, um, going to two tight end sets at the beginning of the passing boom in the NFL. When, Everybody starts worrying about the outside of the field and going deep. And they said, oh, cool, cool. we're going to be big and tough over the middle of the field. Um, on defense, switching from a 4-3 to a 3-4 and back again, just because nose tackles got expensive or overdrafted. Like, this is a guy who looked at football every single year and said, I'm going to do this and it's going to work. And you guys are going to catch up to him in three years, at which point I'll be still, still be ahead. I'll be a step ahead. He was always two steps ahead of the game. He feels like he's out of ideas now. That's what's heartbreaking. So what are you getting if you hire Bill Belichick after this year? And again, I'm not, this is not anything other than a thought experiment. I don't, I don't think Kraft is going to say you have to leave. What if the experiment there has run its course or the project there has run its course? Not the experiment. The experiment, the experiment has, been, uh, has been proven successful. If the project there has run its course and they say, okay, with this roster, with Mac Jones, with the options of quarterback to replace him, we don't, no one thinks this is a good idea to continue. Maybe he looks elsewhere. But I think if you're an owner, it would have to be, unfortunately for Belichick, a guy who wants credibility and stability and wants a name to just stop the bleeding somewhere. Um, that might end up being a place like, I mean, oddly enough, uh, like Carolina, where things seem to be going a little bit south of Frank Reich and David Tepper is a perfect guy who would want to learn. And this is also like, I've, I've seen this with Parcells too. 
like guys want to learn, owners want to learn about football from some of these guys, these kind of elder statesmen, the deans of the game. So Belichick coming into a place like Carolina and saying like, hey, David Tepper, this is what football is. That might be valuable. And would you cut bait with Frank Reich after a year? Yeah, it's Frank Reich, and he isn't doing very well. Um, so it's something, it'd be something like that. Cleveland, I don't know, because you got to remember, if Belichick comes in, he's going to want his own personnel guy. I would demand that, by the way, if I was an owner, that somebody else can do personnel because Bill the GM has been a problem. The only thing now is that Bill the coach used to solve Bill the GM's problems, and it hasn't happened yet. Um, but... That'd be tough. Andrew Barry, I think, is still probably well thought of within within the Cleveland facility. So Cleveland would be tough. Raiders would be a no-brainer. And everybody's like, well, that'd be awkward with Josh McDaniels. And Bill doesn't care. Mark Davis doesn't care. Josh probably won't care. Like, the only reason Josh got two head coaching jobs is because Bill Belichick and Tom Brady made him look better than he is. Um, and so that could be an option if the Raiders start to flounder. People were like, oh, the Chargers. Yeah, well, Dean Spanos isn't going to write that big a check. That's the other thing. Bill Belichick's going to want a lot of money. And so, um, I mean, like, some of these teams are just spoken for. The Colts are, are obviously, again, they're kind of a t- kind of team that has lacked stability. Well, they seem to be on the right track now with the young quarterback. I also, I know that Carolina would, would refute this, my Carolina idea would refute this, but I wouldn't necessarily, without big changes, let Bill Belichick near a promising young quarterback. Um, like, and also D'Amico Ryan's right now <laughs> seems like a better option than, than Bill, Bill Belichick in Houston. Um, and so, I mean, the commanders would be the likeliest option. I think this is a guy who loves Maryland, who would love to teach Josh Harris about football. They've got basically nothing going for them at the quarterback position. The defense is overrated. Um, they can't stop giving up giving up the deep ball to Justin Fields the other night. Belichick could stop that. He could help with that. Best defensive mind of all time. The commander seems like the likeliest option to me. Um, and it fits the bill. Like a guy who just wants to turn over his whole franchise because there's a lot of thinking that needs to be done. And you can outsource that thinking to Bill Belichick. Um, don't, think they, don't think the Cardinals would ever do it. Um, again, they're also just not going to write that, that big a check. Um, the Bears would be a funny option. I got to tell you, the Bears would be a very funny option. You just get rid of Eberflus and Poles. And by the way, like, I know he doesn't seem like it now, but like Belichick with the running quarterback would actually be, and Cam Newton was past it, but like Belichick's been obsessed with the single wing his entire life. Um, he is... He's always, I think, sort of fantasized. We've always joked about this on on shows going back. But, like, I've always felt like, and this has been slightly disproven with the the old age of both Sean Payton and Bill Belichick, but I always felt like Belichick and Sean Payton were always a little bit bored with how good their quarterback was because I think they wanted to scheme up special stuff. That's what you saw with Sean Payton and Taysom Hill, where it's like, oh, we've got Drew Brees, but you know what else we have? we got this random guy I'm going to scheme stuff up for. I know it's a pipe dream, but like Belichick in Chicago would be very, very, very funny. And it actually might, it might work. Um, again, the the problem with some of these options for Belichick, if he tried to go somewhere else, is it would have to be a roster that doesn't have much going for it because people are not going to put, people are not going to make that leap right now with Belichick and what he's proven over the past 
three years, two years, something like that. It hasn't been pretty. Bucks, again, I brought that up on Sunday night. It'd be very funny. Um, just as far as what Brady did and then Belichick following him. Um, but they're three and one right now. What are you gonna do? Fire Todd Bowles and replace him with Bill Belichick if you have if you win if you accidentally win the NFC South because it's a it's a rough division. Um, and then I don't think anybody else. I mean, Saints. Like Dennis Allen's a bad coach, but like I don't know that that seems that seems weird for them. So those are the options. Again, this is a thought experiment. I I don't I I I even like after week two, I think I came on the show and said, well, they're going to give him an extra year because oddly enough, Bill Belichick is lucky that Bill Belichick's not making the decision because he always gives one year less than he should. He gives no grace to anybody, and but yet Robert Kraft would probably extend that grace to him if he needed it, give him a retirement tour. I thought that for a long time, but at some point this becomes untenable. And at some point, I was just listening to Tom Curran's podcast yesterday with Phil Perry, and they were going through the blame pie, and like everybody kind of blames Bill, the GM first, and then Mac Jones is somewhere in there, and then Bill, the coach is, is somewhere in the middle. I disagree. I think Bill, Bill, the coach is number one because he's always cleaned up the messes of Bill, the GM again. Um, but the problem is they're bad and they're bad because of Bill Belichick. And that's why I think the project might be coming to an end, even with the history that they have there, because it's not like it's been one bad season. They've been pretty mediocre for a while. And that's, that's not the standard Belichick wants to set or craft. So I'm starting to turn on my opinion that there would be a kind of a, a longish, runway towards retirement. And I also think, and this is, this is the other thing. The more I thought about it, the more I think like, does, is Bill Belichick of all people going to want a Derek Jeter, Mariano Rivera style retirement tour where the jets are buying him like gifts and the Vikings are carving out canoes and giving it to him. Like that. I don't think that's really Belichick style. Belichick style is to on February 6th on the Tuesday of Super Bowl week. Just say, all right, I'm good. I'm leaving New England. Just send out a little press release, eight words. I've loved my time in New England. Thank you, Mr. Kraft. That, that, that's more Belichick style. So, like, the idea of a one-year retirement tour to me in New England is, is, not, is getting less and less feasible the more I think about it. All right, we'll be right back after this break. Tickets to the game, merch, meals at iconic restaurants, stays at Caesars Palace. All this can be yours when you bet with Caesars Sportsbook. Win or lose, every bet earns reward credits, which you can redeem across the empire. Now, if you haven't started yet, use the code OmahaFull and then place your first bet up to $1,250. If you win, great, you keep those winnings. But if you lose, you get your stake back as a bonus bet. 21 and up only. Offer valid and must be physically present in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Louisiana, Maine, Maryland, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming only. New users and first $10 wager only must wager with eligible promo code bet amount of qualifying wager return only if wager is settled as a loss. Maximum bonus bet $1,250. Bonus bet expires 14 days after receipt. Tier credits and reward credits will be added to account within seven days after qualifying wager settles. See caesars.com slash promos for full terms. Void where prohibited. Know when to stop before you start. Gambling problem? Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. Colorado, Wyoming, Kansas, affiliated with Kansas Crossing Casino, call 1-800-522-4700. Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. 
Iowa, call 1-800-BETS-OFF. Louisiana, call 1-877-770-STOP. Licensed through Horseshoe, Bossier City, and Hannah's New Orleans. Maine, call 1-800-327-5050 or visit gamblinghelplinema.org. Michigan, call 1-800-270-7117. Illinois, Maryland, New Jersey, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Ohio, Pennsylvania, affiliated with Harris, Philadelphia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed calling 1-800-GAMBLER, 1-888-427-426-2537 or West Virginia. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. 10 seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships, your skills, your customer base. How about businesses on Shopify? <laughs> Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash network, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash network now to grow your business. No matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash network. With everyone fighting for attention, how can your business stand out and connect with customers? Easy. Get Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketing platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay top of mind, and see big results fast. Constant Contact makes it easy to promote your business with powerful tools like email and SMS marketing, social media posting, and even events management. With Constant Contact, you'll reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and communicate more effectively to sell more, raise more, and fast-track growth. Don't know much about marketing? No sweat. Constant Contact's writing assistance tools and automation features help you say the right thing at the right time, every time. Plus, you can send with confidence knowing your emails are actually reaching your customers thanks to Constant Contact's best-in-class 97% deliverability rate. Tackle any challenge with Constant Contact's expert live customer support. Plus, everything's backed by their 30-day money-back guarantee. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact. Helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. All right, Mitchell Schwartz is here. Former All-Pro, Kansas City Chief. Cleveland Brown. Those were two different experiences to say the least. He's a friend. He is a person who, and let's be honest, he made NFL money and he put it towards the things I would put it towards, which is golf and watches. Mitchell, hello. Hello. That is true. Uh, you know, we share those passions and I feel like I'm a little bit of an enabler in terms of the watches. You know, you throw some stuff at me and I always tell you like, yeah, that's a great idea. But how about this other really cool thing that's probably three times as expensive? Well, the good news is uh, the number's been rolling and I'm sending you a bill. So that's, that's just how it goes. Um, so that's how it's going to even out. Um, all right. So we have a lot to get to because it's been an intriguing season with not just the Chiefs, but on the offensive line in general. I want to start here. There's this now mainstream take that like the first month of the season to six weeks is fake for elite teams. And I feel like the Patriots guys who've got into media have sort of um, thrown this out there. And I've always believed it going back to like, 
the Legion of Boom Seahawks, where they'd always have some weird loss in the first month of the season, and they'd say, you know what, with the new CBA rules, these teams view it as an extended preseason. We saw it a little bit with some of the McVay teams last year in the last couple of years when they stopped playing in preseason. Um, but when you play for an elite team, and you obviously played for that with the Chiefs, and you have Mahomes, and you know there's a floor, um, and you know in January it's only going to be relevant, um, or you're going to probably make the final four at the at the very latest at, at the very least. Um, are the first six weeks of the season fake ish, Mitchell? No, I think I think that's the complete opposite. I think you are finding Ooh. yourself, and especially if you have an elite quarterback. You know, you mentioned New England. That was always the thing. Like year to year, they kind of shifted and molded to the different personnel. Really, the personnel was Tom Brady and figuring out you know what the offense was going to look like, but. You're still fighting for, you know, back then the first and second seed right. to get the bye. Now you only have the one bye. And so, you know, the Chiefs losing that Lions game because Chris Jones is holding out and Kelsey isn't uh, healthy. That might be the determining factor between a one and two seed. And as players, you're not thinking that far ahead. As coaches, that's your job <laughs> to kind of understand the big picture. And so there is, you know, the Chiefs offense, a um, mm -hmm. figuring out period, the Miami defense maybe. Um, mm -hmm. You know, Buffalo now working through injuries yet again. There is finding yourself and understanding what you're great at and what you're going to lean on in December and in January and getting healthy for those months. But to say that we can just throw stuff out, I, I don't believe that at all. I think you kind of are who you are and you can improve a little bit and you can find yourself and find your identity. But most good teams are still kind of good. Again, going back sure. to the Chiefs. Yeah, of course. Yeah, it's been disappointing, but still four and one. And so it's still yeah, a good yeah. team that's winning football games. Um, can you give me an example of a thing that you guys found out about yourself mid-season or early in the season or October? Really? Like, okay, we're finding our identity and we actually uncorked it on October 10th instead of August 3rd. Because I think it's obviously – I think that's the one thing. There's not a lot of patience for teams revealing themselves throughout the season. And we make these bold proclamations on September 20th that so-and-so is, is out of the race or whatever. Or the, the Bills window is closed, which is a week two take this year. Um, can you give me an example of something with the Chiefs that, that the identity uh, was revealed in the middle of the season, Mitchell? Yeah, we had a, I mean, going back, I think it was 2017, we were in a bit of a lull in the middle of the season. We were, uh, Alex Smith was the quarterback. It might have even been 2016, yeah. but we were in still kind of the traditional, more West Coasty, a little bit less uh, shotgun. You know, we got Anthony Sherman at fullback running some, some right. old school lead ISO runs. And we just kind of scrapped that and said, this isn't working for us. We're not good at it. We're going to go to more spread stuff. We're going to use, you know, the ability of Alex to, to run the ball. Uh, it might have been one of those times where coach backed off the play calling a little bit and, and Nagy might have taken over for a bit um, and just kind of gone to more of the spread out stuff. And then we were on a, a bad little losing streak there and we flipped it around and started playing better ball and, and made a push into the playoffs. And so I think with Andy Reid in particular, it's what the running game is going to look like. Uh, I think we know yeah. pretty, pretty heavily what the passing game is going to look like, but finding you know, the last year or so with the Chiefs, oh, we're going to lean into these shotgun kind of counter schemes, pulling, you know, two elite guards and Trey Smith and, and Joe Tooney, uh, finding how that running game is going to be what supports you into those cold months. Um, and so I think for us, that was always, you know, finding what that running identity was going to be. All right. I have a stupid question, but sometimes stupid questions lead to good answers. Um, you hear so much now, like the Cowboys said, after Sunday night, Micah Parsons said, we're still on the same level. We'll see them in January. Um, you see a couple of teams who are struggling now say, hey, you know what? What matters is December and January. Having done it, is there actually a science to peaking 
later in the season? Like, is there a practice schedule? Is there a, okay, we're, we're actually going to save some stuff for December, January, or we're just going to, we might sit this guy next week, whatever. Like, is this a real thing or is it just a coincidence when teams actually play their best football and get healthy in, in January and, and early February? I think it's a coincidence because it's usually one-off teams that kind of catch a heater and, and win the last <laughs> six weeks and take that into the playoffs. And even then, I mean, I feel like those Giants teams are kind of the ones that stick out in terms of catching the heater and actually riding it all the way to winning yeah. the Super Bowl. Um, but no, I just think it's like the main thing is health, being healthy once you get into right. December and January. So I think the science behind medical staffs and behind uh, how to change the practice schedule, that was something Coach Reed uh, throughout my tenure kind of backed off the practice schedule during the season uh, with every progressive year a little bit more, which was <laughs> just fantastic. But it, it was like, <laughs> you know, we play so many primetime games, those Sunday night games, yes. you're playing in New England. It's miserable, miserable to get out of there. You get home, it's 5 or 6 a.m. Uh, it's a physical game. And that Wednesday practice, you know, old school would be you put on pads, you're doing nine on seven. Um, maybe that's a day where we take the pads off and we just have helmets and it's a little bit lighter tempo. Uh, you know, a Monday game, maybe Wednesday looks a little different. Maybe Thursday instead of, we used to call a thousand play Thursday because we run a ton of plays on Thursdays. Maybe it's, you know, 998 play Thursday, not thousand play Thursday. Um, so I think the science and the data is really in terms of the health um and like you said i don't know those decisions on whether to sit a guy or not i think for the most part um week to week teams are going to try to get guys out there if they can and, and the risk of re-injury um is, is too great to really mess with that not necessarily looking for the long term but um yeah i i think that teams try to get to the end of the year as healthy as possible and if you're holding back scheme i mean how good do you have to be to hold back scheme early in the season to unleash <laughs> it later in the year you know if you're smart and you're playing the 4d chess and all those things whatever yeah, yeah. Like mcdaniel might be you know playing 6d chess with his uh giant brain but you're maybe setting stuff up for later in the year but i don't think you're holding yeah. anything back you just understand what the yeah, counters yeah, yeah. are yeah, that's the whole Shanahan thing is, is setting stuff up and running the same play four times then doing something different right at the end off of it. Tag. A tag, as we call it, in uh, either football or music. Um, all right. So I got a great listener question on Sunday off the Kelsey injury, which was who's the most valuable non-quarterback to a team's operation? So, like, obviously Christian McCaffrey might be the most valuable non-quarterback in the NFL, but, like, they'd figure something out if if he was if he was not there. Um they could they could they could do something especially in the run game. Okay? The, the Niners can figure that stuff out. Um but it was an interesting question from an offensive line standpoint cuz I'm sitting there thinking like all right, would the Eagles like is Jason Kelsey so important to the Eagles that the the, the short yardage situation would just totally collapse if um if he wasn't there. Um and I don't know. I don't know. I'm not smart enough on the O-line. Um Trent Williams, like if he went out, would that just completely ruin everything that the, the Niners want to do because he'd be getting edge pressure all of a sudden and they wouldn't be able to get that timing. And so I, I leave it to you. The most valuable offensive lineman in the NFL, based off of that, just like if you take the puzzle piece away, nothing can happen. Who is it? I think it's Jason Kelsey. Um, I think everyone kind of thinks it's Trent Williams because left tackle is valuable and we've seen all the cool highlights of what he can do. And for the Shanahan run scheme in particular, the technique he uses on the backside where he basically just like chops guys and dumps them and <laughs> pulls them by the, the back of the head. Uh, unfortunately, actually injured uh, Vander Esch this past week. Trent kind of did that in space. And unfortunately, Vander Esch kind of joinked into Parsons there. And I think they both got hurt. Um, what he can do for that offense is fantastic. I think they can be successful without him. I think Philly 
is so diverse and they use Kelsey in so many different ways. And those third and fourth and one pushes are such huge leverage pieces. And I probably wouldn't have said this last year when they were the only team doing the push and we just assumed that it was really easy and you just push the quarterback <laughs> over the top. But now we see other teams trying it and failing and getting guys injured on the play and you realize like, hmm, maybe there is something to having a center that might be 282 pounds, but he can uh, get underneath guys and get leverage. And then being able to pull him and obviously the Hurts uh, aspect of what they yes, can do in course. space using him. And so I do think he's kind of that puzzle piece. And it's interesting because you look back historically, like Teron Armstead to Miami, if you again yeah. asked me this at the end of last year, you might say him because the numbers with him in and him out are, are massively different. But this year he's been hurt and they've still been rolling. Um, Tyron Smith was always that guy in Dallas where he goes out and they turn into a 3-13 and team and the offense can't succeed and uh, Dak starts looking depending on your view on Dak, uh, even more like Dak or even less like Dak. Um, but I do think for a guy who's been healthy and hasn't really shown that the offense will change when he's hurt because he hasn't been hurt, I think it's got to be Jason Kelsey. Can you explain to me, as someone who doesn't understand uh, anything about football, let alone the offensive side, uh, offensive line side of the ball, um, what Jason Kelsey, and that was a joke, I do understand like three things about football. Um, can you explain exactly what Jason Kelsey does on the tush push that gets that kind of leverage? So I think there's like a timing element to it where he's able to like do something and kind of everyone, I mean, I know there was the one that was supposed to be offsides, quote unquote, or he was offsides. <laughs> um, you know, this is a good year for offsides for offensive linemen. Um, but there's a leverage component where you get underneath the defenders and yeah. There's two different ways to think about it. Like, I think some people think, well, offense alignment, if you just get underneath the defender's legs and you drive, um, that's one way to stop it. But the flip side is the defense alignment are then above you and maybe they can hit the quarterback first and the second level guys can then just like torpedo over the top. Um, and so then there's the other point of view where you would say, well, defense alignment, you get super low, you get underneath um, and then the offensive line's on top. But then are you almost creating like this bar moving barricade where Hertz can just ride on top of his guard and center and get pushed over the top. Um, but I, I do think that guy in the middle, he's got to have leverage and then he's got to be able to drive. And I think that's what Philly does really well is whether they actually do get their helmets underneath or whether they get them above, they just keep driving and they keep pushing and having a guy that, you know, is what 35, 36 has contemplated yeah. retirement for the last four years. I can't imagine that's a play that he like absolutely <laughs> loves uh, hearing, <laughs> hearing the call on the huddle. Like, ah, oh, great. We got to do this again. Um, I just can't imagine that that's super exciting, but he still does it because he's a leader and because he knows how important it is. Um, so I, I think it's that leverage, that drive, that push. It honestly reminds me of like old school field goal blocking. I remember Ooh. in college, I went to Cal. We played Stanford every year. That's our big rival. Stanford was like exceptional because they ran a lot of that short yardage stuff. I mean, if you go back and look at the formations, the old school Harbaugh, you know, fourth and one, give it to like Owen Marisic and let him run over. Those look oh, like the tush wow, push, those formations. Yeah. And so on field goal, they were exceptional at getting low and getting push on, on the guard and getting some field goal blocks. And so I was a, a guard on field goal. And my goal was literally like put my head on the ground, lift my butt, and then they can't get far enough where they can jump and make a play. And I think that's what Kelsey and the Eagles are doing, but then they're combining it with leg drive. And that's the key component. Do you agree? And I just want to get out of this with a yes or no answer. Don't you agree that we should keep the tush push legal because it's so funny when done poorly? Yes. It's perfect. I just love seeing a team just be like, oh, we could do this. And then they just, whatever. All right, let's move on. Um, Juwan Taylor, question mark. <laughs> um, 
I don't yeah. you take it wherever you want. Like you watch this and you think what? I think I feel bad for him in the sense that he's in a new environment. Um, I actually have a very similar background to him. You know, I get drafted yeah. in Cleveland. He gets drafted in Jacksonville. We both have George Warhop as our coach who teaches, you know, kind of a true vertical pass set. Um, and then there's some counters off of that and you can kind of widen the pocket a little bit. Uh, the Chiefs run more of kind of a shorter, shallower, wider pocket to try to let Pat feel the space. And so there's a bit of a difference in terms of what he's used to stylistically, um, you know, setting vertical, setting straight back. You have less margin error because, you know, if you just think about it, you're not setting out at an angle, so you're closer to the quarterback physically. Um, there's a timing element that's a little bit different in the Chiefs offense with how in rhythm Pat can be and then getting out of the pocket. So he's adjusting to all those things on the fly. He has his first game. He only gets called for one penalty as early as you want to say he's going. The refs aren't calling it. They call it like when it's fourth and 20 at the end of the game. But Chris Collinsworth is talking about him every single play. The screenshots are floating around (laughs) uh, every single corner of social media. And I don't go to every corner of social media. So let let that be known. I'm just assuming that they are. Um, And so now he's got to change. You're you're on Tumblr. You're on Tumblr (laughs) looking at Chris Collinsworth quotes. Oh, man. I can only imagine what's out there. Um And so he's now thinking like, man, I got to change. I got to do something different. So he does change a little bit. And the next game, he is targeted. And I mean, absolutely targeted. And those screenshots are out there. And we can see that it's pretty unfair. He's not really that illegal. You know, I still think that he probably should have not skirted the line and tried to make it like very obvious that he was up on the the ball. Um, But either way, he gets called for a couple penalties. He's back home in Jacksonville where he played his first four years, friends and family, he gets called for a false start. He gets called for an illegal formation. Starts menting, messing with him mentally. Now he's lost confidence. You know, if you're lined up over the ball, and this is a great Joe Thomas story, we were about to play the first game of the year, and pregame warm-ups are done. We're on the sidelines. We're about to kick off. And Joe's, like, doing his little stance and, like, doing his shoulders. And I'm like, Joe, what are you doing? He's like, I'm just not – I just don't feel comfortable in my stance. And this is Joe Thomas, who's 10 years, 10 Pro Bowls, Hall of Famer, first ballot. And the first game of the year before the first snap, he's like, I'm not confident in my stance right now. And I was like, Joe, you've had an amazing camp. You're awesome. Like, just trust it. Like, this is, it looks normal. Like, just go ahead and trust it. And so if Joe Thomas is in his stance before a game, not fully comfortable, imagine what Juwan Taylor's feeling when he doesn't trust his cadence off the ball because they're calling false starts. If he doesn't trust his alignment because they're calling him an illegal formation. And he's in a new situation. He's back home in Jacksonville, like all these things. So yeah, you lose confidence. You don't trust yourself. Then that manifests physically Um, because the physical side, he's a great player. And so that mental side manifests physically. And then obviously he got taken out for a few plays to kind of cool down. Uh, I think against the Bears, he got taken out in the second half because he had another penalty or two. Um, So I feel for him. I kind of understand what he's going through. I think we're past the point where they're targeting him. And I think he's comfortable with his alignment. He's comfortable with the assignments, with the techniques he he needs to use. And I think he's now settled in. But man, that was a a rough first few weeks. And uh, I I really did feel bad for him. And, you know, I think he could have helped himself out just a little bit too. The Joe Thomas stance story makes me feel better about losing my golf swing every 10 days. (laughs) Um, All right. Let's do You mentioned the Joe Thomas story. That was terrific. Um, Let's do story time here. Uh, everybody, I went to Kansas City December of Mahomes' first year as a starter. And I was talking about how he tests his limits. and pr- He was talking about how he tests his limits in practice and all the things that, that you know. And 
Um, you know, Chad Henney was great on it and all these guys that had not stopped by one Mitchell Schwartz's locker, although I should have, we didn't know each other back then. Um, but all of these guys were saying that basically like from the moment of his first camp, he was testing his limits and, and making, uh, wild throws and making mistakes and throwing interceptions. Remember, I think we all know that how many practice interceptions he had in his first year as starter. And everybody said, Oh, is this going to be a problem? And it turns out he was just, the, he was going to be the baby goat. He was just trying to figure out what he could do and what he couldn't on an NFL field. So let's start here. Um, craziest thing you've seen Patrick Mahomes do in practice. Ooh. So what's funny is a lot of the crazy stuff you kind of see like spill out into games. Um, <laughs> and that's like the genius of him and Andy Reid. Like, you know, there's the play where he's running in motion at the snap and catches it. And it's like a sprint out to the right, but he's already in motion. Uh, you want to talk about everyone's talking about Miami short motion this year. How about Mahomes doing short motion himself as the quarterback yeah. a few years ago? Um, there's the behind the back stuff. There's like all those different things. And I wish I got to see it more. You know, I'm always blocking for him, yeah, so course. I never get to see it. And so it kind of became like we'd be watching practice and we watched as an offensive line. This is one of the great Andy Reid things is that he lets the O-linemen watch film themselves. You don't have to watch as an offense, um, which is fun at times because you get to learn what the receivers are doing and what they're getting coached to do. But like it sucks to have a bad play and have everyone in the room uh, be watching you as your coach is coaching you. And so our offensive line coach would just stop the film and be like, hey, watch 15 on that one. Hey, watch 15 on this one. And I've never experienced that before, like both in practice and games where, again, he just pushes the boundaries of what you can do. All the stuff he's done in practice, he does in games, like the no-look stuff. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know we've seen the clips of like the behind-the-back 30-yard passes and maybe that's next. Um but that's maybe the only thing he's done in practice is he hasn't pulled on a game. Like the underhand shovel passes started because he was messing around in practice and he just kind of realized like, hey, that seems to work. And it seems to be a little easier than like throwing the ball over the top when I'm sprinting the other way. And it became a thing. And they became the shovel pass team for two years in the low red zone and scored a bunch of touchdowns. So like his ability to just mess around in practice, but be so good at just messing around yes. that Coach Reed, who's a historically like conservative guy and um, doesn't. I mean, the offense has pushed the boundary, but still the four down decisions maybe um, could be a little better. Like, so just inherently a little more conservative um, just allows Pat to do that in games because he trusts him. Like, it's just, it's so cool. It was great to be part of. And it was fun um, after the fact to kind of be like, oh yeah, that was the play everyone was talking about. And now we get to see it. Being in those rooms. And I know that like, if I asked you like, what's one thing we don't know about Patrick Mahomes, like everybody knows everything about Patrick Mahomes right now. But, like, the Reed-Mahomes partnership. I mean, for me, it's, like, written in the stars in football that these two guys found each other and solved each other's problems, and, and I can go on and on and on. Like, what's one thing about that partnership that we don't understand if we don't – not only not understand football, but not we're not in that locker room, we're not in those film rooms. How do those guys play off of each other? I think how much, like, life and energy and excitement Pat has given Coach Reed. Um, to me, that's the biggest thing. And it was a different shift, obviously, after, you know, Pat started playing and we started winning the way we did. And just like right. the difference stylistically between Pat and Alex, where and I talk about this all the time, that last season, Alex, he called it his FU year where he just said, I'm just going to throw the ball deep and see what happens. And he was statistically the best deep thrower in the NFL, yes. which everyone forgets about and, and no one really thought about at the moment. But again, that's all like structure based. That's all. All right. Timing. Tyreek's open. Boom. Um Pat's ability to, and I think it maybe brings it back to Brett Favre and like the youthfulness of Brett Favre and what coach did in, in the 90s and those feelings. And he just became 
happier day to day and more fun. And again, that like kind of conservative wall broke down a little bit and he was able to um, have more fun himself. And and it just seemed like he was enjoying life a little bit better, enjoying football a little bit better. And I think, you know, some of coach's structure and, and his ability to be a professional and teach and all those things kind of bled into Pat as well. And so I think it's so much more about how they feed off each other in terms of the energy, the yeah. excitement, um, how they trust each other. And that like, I mean, obviously football, there's a lot of frustrating moments. There's a lot of things that happen where in Chiefs offense right now, it's not humming the way they want, but there's never been any signs of acrimony. There's never been any, you know, in the age of player empowerment and guys not being happy. And uh, I wish things were different and stories getting leaked. Like, no, it's just, these guys are tied together. Like you said, they understand each other so well. And it's just a, a beautiful relationship. I've heard this and I don't know. I've never seen much evidence of it, but I bet you have. Is Andy Reid secretly funny? Secretly funny. He's I think people know that he's funny. I think he he uses food a lot for himself. Like he's an offensive lineman at heart. He's self-degrading. He likes to make jokes. He likes to kind of give it back. And if you follow the Chiefs, you know, the way I do and you're around it, like the beat writers have a great relationship with him and, um, you know, he can make jokes about some of them. I think he's outwardly funny. He just doesn't give too much away. He is definitely hilarious. Um, but again, that's the type of thing that I think has been brought out a little bit more and he's been more willing yes, to, uh, show that personality over the last few years as he, his big mantra for us is show your personality, let your personality show, like let Pat be Pat on the field, let Travis, run 10% of the real routes and 90% of the time he just finds open space. Like let your personality show. And I think he's letting his personality show a little bit more as well. Funniest thing you've ever heard Andy Reid say. Ooh, um, probably not meant to be funny, but we were talking one time and he asked me if I ever had a chili relleno burrito. And, uh, I just thought it was amazing that he knew that. And it, I guess there's a place back home that has chili relleno burritos. And he was like, yeah, you make the relleno and like you stuff in the burrito. And then he was saying he tried to have the, the food guys make that for him. Um, and he was like teaching them how to do that. And I just thought like, that was just so perfect. Like, I mean, as a big guy, just you hear all the stories and like, yeah, it's funny. He likes food and blah, blah, blah. But like, no, it's like a legit passion for him. And he's got all his favorite foods at all his favorite spots. Um, and that one just always stuck with me because it just like encapsulated everything about him. Like it's not just a little thing that like, yeah, he likes to eat because he's big. Like he has a passion for it, you know, the way I do, the way, um, you know, a lot of guys do the, the like to cook and the like to eat. Um, and it was just like, we were in his, I think it was a post season talk and we were talking about going back home and all that stuff. And <laughs> he brought it up and it was pretty hilarious. So he's like a legitimate. I know. I know he's talked about this a lot, and I think that I, I wonder how much is press conference stick versus like real life. But like, he's a legitimate foodie. Yeah, yeah, he is, and I think he likes going to all the places and trying stuff at, at all the cities. I mean, he's been coaching forever. He has all his favorites, but um, I think he probably actually don't know that he cooks more than than you'd think he would given his schedule, but. It seems like he loves food in a way that he would like to cook and make it himself. So I think he probably does a little bit of that as well. Um, but yeah, it's not just like I like to eat. It's like I like to search and find for the best versions of things and make those and eat those. Have you gone to dinner with him? I have not. I've been at the same restaurant with him at a dinner unintentionally right before training camp. Um, but we have not uh, dined together in that manner. All right. Uh, give me rock bottom of the Cleveland Browns era. Um, my second year, which was 2013, 
We had fired Pat Shermer the year before because Jimmy Haslam bought the team. Pat Shermer didn't have the best two years. We hired Rob Chudzinski, Norv Turner's our offensive coordinator. Um, Norv is awesome. I love Norv. And we are week 17 in Pittsburgh. We bust down there because it's just easier with the airport from from Cleveland to bust down there because you fly in by the time you then get on buses and go. Um, We play the game. We probably lose um i think it was like one of those don't get injured bowls i think pittsburgh was like you know eight and eight or maybe they were ten and six and already had a a, um a playoff spot but it wasn't like the most competitive game it was a don't get injured game and you don't want your offseason to be ruined uh we get back on the buses and rumors start flying that just is getting fired and we were like huh, uh, you know, that doesn't usually happen very often. A guy gets fired after one year. I think he started the string of like three straight years where a guy got fired. I think two were San Francisco back-to-back with Tom Sula and uh, maybe Chip or someone else. But so we get on the buses and we're trying to find information. We're going through Twitter. Like I'm in my second year. I don't have like league sources, whatever. But guys are like trying to talk to people and figure it out. And then we're like texting each other. Hey, who's on bus one? Because bus one is where the head coach is. Like what's the vibe on bus one? And it actually becomes kind of hilarious and kind of funny. I mean, not, you know, on a personal level, it sucks. He gets fired after one year, but like that whole bus ride back, we're trying to figure out what's going on because we had no idea. Like there wasn't an inkling. I think Schefter had tweeted like 20 minutes before the game. Hey, if Cleveland loses today, be aware that Chizinski might be on uh, rocky ground. And so this whole two and a half hour bus ride back, like we're all texting each other, trying to figure out what the heck's going on. Um, I think it's probably rock bottom that like we were that excited about like trying to figure out what was going on after week 17 uh, after we just lost yes, yet, yet another game. Did we get an answer on what the vibe was on bus one? No, I, I don't think we had too many bus one guys at the time. I think it was structured in a way that we all kind of the O-linemen stuck together on like the bus two. Um, Kansas City, I was a bus one guy. But, uh, you know, Cleveland back in those days, I was a bus two guy. And um no, we never got the uh, the vibe check on bus one. Uh, we did get the fire check, and uh, he was fired. <laughs> Wait, so, he, he did, so like we, he may have been fired the whole bus ride, and it was just like we just you just didn't have good enough sources in bus one. Apparently so. You know, I don't know if that's. Oh my god! I don't know. Again, this is Cleveland, so you don't really know how the decision making yes. is made. So like, you don't know. <laughs> Obviously, Jimmy kind of decided that, and but you don't know who he told. You don't know who leaked stuff to Schefter. Yeah. Um, but he didn't get left on a tarmac, and the team didn't leave without him, so he was part of our trip home. Whew, um, that's beautiful. Um, all right, that is not happening in Kansas City, by the way. No, there's, <laughs> you're all you're in bus one. Uh, you, Andy Reid is 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 safe. The decision making process is a little more sound. All right, we're going to get you out of here on something we call badasses. Um, it can be anybody you've ever played with, played against, um, worked with, doesn't matter, who is just an absolute badass. And that could be anything. That could be tough as hell. That could be played through injury. That could be just an absolute maniac in the in the, the damn recovery room. Doesn't matter. You have the floor. It can be anybody. That's a good one. I, I know the the story from last week is floating around, but that reminded me of Alex Mack playing with a broken leg in a Super Bowl. Um, yes. And I, I just think that one gets a little bit underlooked, and he's one of my best friends, so obviously I, I like to defend him a little bit. But he, now it's not the best Super Bowl to remember if you're a Falcons fan, um, but he played in that Super Bowl with a broken leg, and 
it's just like nuts that he's that tough to do it. I know in Cleveland he had an appendectomy and he didn't miss any time. Um, oh you know, God. he in college, I played with him in college. He like broke his thumb, I think a few days before um, the the year started and they were playing, I think Tennessee. Um, and he's the, the, the center, like he's got to snap the ball and he's got a splint on and every single snap is like, ah, f- um, and he didn't miss any time. <laughs> he didn't miss any practice time. Like he just played with a broken thumb as a center. Um, so yeah, he's, he's a certified stud, um, played through so much stuff. And, uh, you know, I think he needs a shout out. Wow. Mitch Schwartz. Thanks buddy. Just got back from skiing. Were you skiing in, in Colorado? No, 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 not skiing. We went to enjoy the fall, uh, beautiful leaves, the scenery, um, gets a little chilly at night, which is nice for a man of my size. Um, nice little, you know, coffee on the patio at, at 9 PM, uh, with a 46 degree brisk breeze. Can't beat that. Awesome, man. Talk to you soon. All right, Cam Jordan, one of the best defensive linemen of his generation. He's here with Little Caesars. What's going on, buddy? Man, I'm just uh, I'm happy to be here. You know, I'm just enjoying playing football at, at a high level. I'm enjoying my teammates, and I can't wait for this next game to come up. You're also on the show with Mitch Schwartz, so uh, this is a lot of Cal Bears in one place, man. It's always go Bears. You know, across the NFL, they're like, they're like go Bears, and people pop up like, you mean the Chicago Bears? No, the University oh. of California at Berkeley, the Golden Bears, the number one public institute in the nation. We make products. You know, Jared Goff, Aaron Rodgers, Cam Jordan, Marv Jones, uh, you know, uh, Keenan Allen, just in the league right now. And then, of course, if you talk about Marshawn Lynch, Deshaun Jackson, Miss Schwartz, just guys that, won, that have won at such a high clip with phenomenal uh, power and prowess in the game. Uh, I went to University of Miami, so I'm no longer acknowledging college football until further notice. I'm just putting that aside. Um, I want to start here. So Bill Belichick gave you incredible praise this time last week. Um, I'm sure it was it was a real thrill to hear that from someone who's, who's so respected. And then um, I saw some folks in the tape community say that uh, the way that they played you last week, I mean, you had a lot of opportunities. You were in the backfield all day long, didn't give uh, that young man a lot of help. Were you surprised with how they matched up against you uh, in, in the game, Cam? No. Um, I don't know if I lead the league in pressures, but I got to be somewhere to the tops. I'm going to quarterbacks at a high clip uh, this this season. I just feel like, you know, if you keep on knocking the door, eventually that door is going to open. You know, we're like, hey, we're going to keep on putting pressure on them. We're going to start jumping routes. We're going to start playing man. And you, after that, uh, you, you finally, you know, had some turnovers happen that they ended up our way. It's like, all right, well, now he has to, you know, now he has to pat the ball. Now he has to look at the defense and start reading. And once that happened, we could take advantage. I want to ask you this week, you guys have the Texans, obviously. C.J. Stroud has been incredible um, the last couple of weeks, especially putting up some of those numbers, you know, Cam Newton-esque numbers, I think, as a rookie quarterback. What have you seen from him, and where does he rank among uh, rookie quarterbacks, especially this early in their career that you've seen in the last few years? Man, I can't I can't say where he ranks in terms of rookie quarterbacks because it doesn't feel like he's a rookie. He's taken to the game (laughs) – he showed out and he's, he looked like he's not getting rattled. Uh, he's playing well. Um, I think him and Bryce Young are they're clearly a reason why they got taken in the first couple picks of the draft this year because uh, they, they look like they're smart and confident well beyond their rookie year would indicate. Yeah. Um, I do think that there's, you know, there's, there's watching the film. You see Atlanta beat them last week. So uh, I think there's places we can take advantage of them. Uh, and hopefully we, we, uh, drop our game plan, which I know we do each and every week, to and play to the highest of our abilities. If we can eliminate some of our own mistakes, 
I don't think we have to worry about who's what quarterback's coming in. I just think we we can worry about how many points we're going to stop them from having. Yeah, um, agree. Uh, I have a question. You mentioned obviously the incredible high level that you're playing at this season. Um, you're getting you're going to be a, a saint for life now. Obviously, you're just you're going to continue being really good for a long time. Uh, I'm curious at your position how you age gracefully. And I know that's a big question, but just like, is it, is it a matter of adding moves to your skill set? Is it a matter of just adding, you know, getting more explosive with workouts Is it a weight room? Is it, is it body? And I know the answer is kind of all of them, but oh. like the key, the key, if you're sitting there, if someone's in your, uh, you know, in year nine and they're saying, Hey, this is a big inflection point in my career. What do I do to age gracefully? Your answer is what Cam? Combination. Um, honestly, it's, it's, it's body work. It's yeah. it's taking care of your 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 body, your mind. Um, but I didn't start paying attention to prehab until like year seven. Heck, in 2011, guys weren't trying to be in the rehab room, right? It was like frowned upon for guys to you know be just constantly have body work done to always need something. And I think. That, that culture shift alone allows you to be, you know, go to the Cairo, go get a massage, go back to the Cairo. Like it's okay to get three, four yeah. hours of body work. You know, it's, 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 you can improve so much of your mechanics by paying attention to how your body feels. Um, you know, we've never really had low management in the NFL. So it's, <laughs> right. it's always go until you can't go anymore. Um, I mean, now it's, it's on, uh, it's on that same pace, but at the same time, there's, you know, there's the catapult that tracks your, your monitors. There's, yeah all these other programs that they have. Um, but it's about what you what you put in your body as well. So, you know, that Monday through Saturday, you, you're eating clean, doing things the right way. You're adding protein, whatever it is. So you play those four quarters on Sunday and you can finally have those those good meals. You know, those like the ones you, you look forward to. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Just like, you know, right after this this last game, we, we beat the Patriots, get home right off the plane. I already, you know, I had already got into my app ordered a delivery, got home and, and smashed a, a four-quarter calzone from uh, Little Caesar. <laughs> and you may, you may laugh, but, like, I demolished this thing. You know, like, <laughs> woke up and the kids in the morning were like, Dad, you had pizza last night? Because I forgot to throw the pizza box away. Sure, of course. And, like, that's my, that's my, you know, that's my night of happiness. Like, I may, whatever you order, like, that's that time you take advantage of it. But it's that combination of, again, taking care of your body work, taking care of, of, of the foods you're putting in your body. And that's probably been the biggest change. If you say, you said year nine, the biggest change from year nine to year 10 was paying attention to exactly what's being put into, into the body. What's the number one thing you cut out that you miss diet wise? Everything. <laughs> Come on. Uh, no, I mean, I don't have, I don't have major tweaks, but I started okay. getting blood work done to, you know, the all cats where they take yeah. these food sensitivities tests. And yep. so it's just, I can't tell you one thing every year, but it's like, it's like one thing that I missed two years ago was wheat. You know, you take out wheat, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. bread, you know, like that's yep. pasta, that's everything. So I'm eating, I'm eating the, uh, the, the, what, what was it? Sweet potato noodles, yeah, or yeah. whatever that, the, the, the subsidiary of a, what a noodle <laughs> should be. You yeah. know, I'm eating the cucumber noodles. That just, that's not happiness, but that made my body happy, you know? Like, so um, for me, it's like this year I'm great because, you know, there's, turkey avocado it's not really impending on what i normally do you know i can do buffalo cheese buffalo mozzarella instead of regular cheese but on sundays after a game guess where i'm at <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to you know the kids love you know eat ice cream i'm over here uh, i'm definitely getting crazy breadsticks like it's there's something in here that's going to change uh for for the six days that we eat well to the morning that we well the game to the game and then after the game you can have some fun 
Um, let's go around the league a little bit because you have such great perspective. You've obviously done a lot of media work, uh, podcasting uh, while you're you're in your career here. Um, obviously, your old coach Sean Payton struggling a little bit in in Denver right now. Uh, as someone who has been with him in some some incredibly good times, the key to a good Sean Payton team is usually what Cam? The locker room. The, the locker room. Uh, the locker room is key um, on any good team when you have leaders that are one proven and two great locker room presence that that helps you corral your young guys that keeps your great players and your your good players on that same emphasis of everybody's on the same track you know like you're not going to win every game i right. i've yet to be in in the league where i saw a 17 and 0 season or before you know when i first got in a 16 and 0 season Right. So somebody's going to lose, but it's that locker room that keeps everybody together because the media will be what the media will be. Stories are going to be made. Narratives will be had, but guys in the locker room have to have each other's backs. Um, and, you know, you, you say, you know, successful teams are able to have that next man up mentality because guys, again, will come in and out of rotation. Uh, but it's that core locker room presence that that really keeps you strong throughout the whole season. Even on a, a, a bad season, if you have a strong locker room presence, you never feel that energy dip. You only feel hope. So I've never I've been lucky that I've only I've been a part of amazing locker rooms for a majority of my of my uh, tenure at, at the Saints. Mm -hmm. But I can look back and specifically point out like one or two years that we weren't great or weren't good because of the volatility in a locker room change. Interesting. Um, toughest quarterback in the NFL to actually get on the ground for a sack? Probably Lamar Jackson because mm. you assume he's a skinnier, lighter guy, but he uh, he's a dipper. When I say dipper, like he ducks under a lot of those things. So you're coming at him and he can like you, you got to be aware of his agility. You get a hold of him. And I've, I think I've done it two or three times. I've tried to like demolish him and slide over the top of him because he's just like bends over bends real quick. Go over the top. I've, I don't think I've sacked Lamar to his credit, because I feel like I've had him. In fact, one play, I had him twice. Like, I sacked him, went over the top, got up, tried to swipe his ankle, and he still got out of there for a completion. Like, he's wow. uh, frustrating for sure. Yeah, so I've heard that. I'm sorry? Because you say Cam Newton, and Cam young Cam Newton, year one through eight Cam Newton was unstoppable at times. What what was it like trying to get Cam Newton on the ground? I mean, he's he's, he's not me because he's taller than me. What is he, 6'6"? Six, six? <laughs> you know, he's 260. Um, yeah, no, he was, he was a monstrosity. Like I remember the first time I tried to sack Cam Newton, uh, 2011, I like hit him in the chest and I like, I smashed him. He like ate it, like jumped in the air, landed, rolled out for another 10, 12 yards. I probably needed that pizza, pizza pregame. You know, I needed, <laughs> I needed to put some extra. Uh, you know, that that whole pregame notion that you can order a pizza, a, a little Caesar pizza an hour before and get put into a drawing for the Super Bowl uh, 58 tickets. But that being said, like, I just need a little bit more weight because he was he was a little bit more. He was a little more heavier than I thought he was yeah. he was little, like he was again, 260 at quarterback is unheard of. Like everybody yeah. at that time, 2011, you're like, oh, Ben Roethlisberger is hard to get down. But Ben Roethlisberger couldn't run. 50-yard side to side, 53-yard side to side, and then take up for another 40 yards. Ben Roethlisberger could shake a couple tackles and get you three or four. Cam Newton was a was a, was a home run every every time he touched the field. Uh, I want to get to Little Caesars to get you out of here, but we do one quick thing called badasses. It's the most badass person you've ever played with or played against. That could be anybody. It could be uh, somebody you played through injury. It could just be the, the craziest guy in the weight room. doesn't matter. Who is your badass? Uh... 
man, shout out to my OG, uh, Jonathan Vilma. Um, you know, like his last year in the league or something like that, like you could see his knee was down bad. Like his, his knee was pretty bad and he played every game, but there was one game they, they hid his pads from him before a game. Like, Hey, hey JV, you're down somewhere. Somehow he found his pads, got in this game. And like, we balled out against, it was like, <laughs> like that. Like I saw him smack uh, a running back. It was, might've been Brandon Jacobs. He was huge. And I was like, bro, like, how was he playing? I looked at him. I was like, there's monsters and there's men and there's there's he's a he's a monstrous man like I mean I've got the highest respects for 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 him like of all times because of what he what he showed me when I was younger. Love that, uh, Cam. Tell us what we do with Little Caesars, man. Man, I mean Little Caesars uh, is the you know it's 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 clear what they are. They're the I wouldn't say the new. They are the NFL sponsor. Uh, they are the new official pizza sponsor of the NFL. Uh, you think about. What I love to do, uh, not only on the field, but off the field, off the field, I'm in the community. I mean, Little Caesars has their their love kitchen, you know, where I first had interaction with them at a Super Bowl, at a veterans, uh, a veterans housing mm-hmm. in Phoenix last year at the Super Bowl. It took off from there. Um, you know, just love what they do. And I'm, I'm glad that I'm able to partner up with them uh, for what they what they have accomplished, especially my first introduction with the, uh, during the Super Bowl last year. Uh, it's, it brings nostalgia for me simply because I went to Chandler High in Arizona, you know, uh, right across the street from Chandler High on Arizona Avenue. There's a Little Caesars right there. That was my high school getaway. You know, like that was like I need two slices and a drink, some crazy bread. You can get that for like four bucks in high school. That was key. You know what I'm saying? So I literally uh, <laughs> literally, literally lived on yeah. Little Caesars when I was when I was younger. So take me to what, what it is now. I love that they're the official partner sponsor of the NFL where they have the pizza pizza pregame, which means anytime an hour before kickoff on Sunday, you can or on game day, you can literally order a pizza an hour before and it enters you in a raffle to uh, to possibly get Super Bowl 58 tickets. And where's that? Vegas. Where's Derek, Derek Carr, the previous quarterback of Vegas? Where are the Saints trying to get to? Vegas. <laughs> I, love, I love everything about this, sponsor, this sponsorship partnership with me. Way to stick that landing. Cam Jordan, Little Caesars, thank you so much, man. Appreciate it.